Hey, I'm Dave, and you're listening to another episode of Dying to Listen Podcast presented by the Disc Golf Dyers Guild. Today, we have Tim from Tar Heel Custom Discs. He dyes some discs for a very unique customer, so we're going to hear all about that. Tim, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Appreciate being on the show. So, what got you started into playing disc golf? So, believe it or not, my story actually starts off with... uh, me playing with my dogs. So I originally started off in 2015 uh, getting to the sport of disc dogs, um, where you throw uh, dog-safe discs for your dog and they catch it and they get scored about how far they they catch it. Uh, Some games require you to jump into certain zones and it's like timed. And I actually was playing uh, disc dogs for with a couple different organizations um, for about four years. And then a really good friend of mine, uh, who was also a legend in the disc dog sport, Gary Duke, said, you should try disc golf. I think you'd like it and it would really help you learn about how to control the disc. You'll learn of it. Just go out and play. So I'm like that sounds fun. Uh, let's try it out. So I went out to a local course with my dog safe discs, uh, not knowing any better. And, uh, the rest was history. Uh, and I got really into it. And, uh, now I'm a disc dog and disc golfer as, as I call myself. That's awesome. Uh, what got you into, uh, the dog? Uh, what is that called again? Uh, disc dogs. Disc dogs. Uh, Up Dog is one of the uh, organizations I mostly compete with. Up Dog Challenge. So when you ask me what's up, dog, <laughs> I, you know the answer. <laughs> what got you started uh, into doing that? So I have uh, at the time I had two very energetic Labrador retrievers, um, and they we would take them to dog parks, and I'd throw the ball. And they would outrun any other dog there. Uh, And someone just happened to be at the dog park and said, you should try like dog sports. And I'm like, dog sports? What the heck is that? Like, yeah, like there are like actual sports you can play with your dog. She's very athletic. You should try it out. So I'm like, why not? So we got into dock diving, uh, which is where dogs jump off a dock into a pool. Um, And that kind of started our career of dog sports. And we were involved in uh, a bunch of different dock diving. Uh, And in 2015, we were at a competition and there was a disc dog competition in the field right across from where the dock was. So we kind of meandered over there, just kind of checked it out. And it turns out they were actually taking walk-ons. So I'm like, I can't throw a Frisbee to save my life, but why not? Like, we've got like four hours to kill here. Let's try it. And uh, a very nice lady um, just walked right up to me, introduced herself, and said, here's how you play. Just get out there and do it. And then uh, after that, I totally stunk on ice. I was terrible. I barely knew how to throw. Uh, But I was really intrigued by it. So I got a couple of discs, uh, went out in the field, practiced with my dog, and very quickly I noticed improvements. Uh, And I was able to throw for my dog. And then we got another dog, and then another dog, and then they were all competing. (laughs) And uh, it's been a wild ride for sure. Wow, that's crazy how something can just uh, snowball into something else. 
Um, but that is awesome. Did your dogs actually like chasing and catching the Frisbee? Absolutely. Um, she had so much drive. My original dog, Nala, um, she's uh, currently nine, about to turn 10. Um, she has so much drive. She wants to go get anything that's thrown. We'll bring it back. Just always wants to play. Um, I have to work her every day, every day, or else she'll just tear up the house. <laughs> like the, I, I, all my dogs are super high drive dogs. You have to work them. Um, they're not exactly the best pets. They're working dogs, so they really require that uh, energetic playtime, uh, whether it be mental or physical exercise. They require it. Yeah. No, this is really piquing my interest because I have um, two standard poodles. Um, I don't know how much they would want to catch a frisbee, but um, something to try. I, I've always wanted to try dock diving with them um, to see if they would even like it, but... Oh, it's so much fun. It's like we're traveling close to 25, 27 weeks out of the year for some type of dog event, whether mostly dock dogs uh, and then on the weekends, mostly during the fall, winter and spring, we do this because during the summer it just gets too hot here in North Carolina. Um, so we tend to uh, stick to disc during the cooler months. And then when it's dock diving, it's uh, out in the sun uh, at the pool and jumping off the dock. The other thing that I want to try that I don't know the technical name for it is it's a line that runs on the ground with that little um, furry thing that they chase. Yeah, that's what we call fast cat. Yes, um, that's what it was. Coursing ability test. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this past weekend, I literally was uh, the hunt master or the kind of like the person who runs the lure um, for an event for a bunch of brand new dogs. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm pretty heavily involved in dog sports. Uh, I got my hand in running a bunch of them. Uh, but when I'm not playing with my dogs, you can usually find me on the disc golf course. That's awesome. Um, I still have a bunch more questions before we actually get into the dying questions. But uh, <laughs> if someone wanted to get their dog into uh, some sort of dog sport, I mean, how would someone find something or even get involved? So there are a bunch of different organizations that you can get involved in. Uh, this dog is, believe it or not, a worldwide sport. Um, the one particular organization I do a lot of work with is called Toss and Fetch League. Um, think of it like a bowling league, but for disc dogs. And it's a five concurrent week session or season where um, we, our club, uh, Tar Heel uh, Toss and Fetch, competes against 140 clubs all around the world. And we all compete on the same five weeks. And then we submit our scores and then... Uh, you know, being judged at each individual club, and then we compete against each other uh, every season. So that's one avenue. Uh, very, very casual. Uh, you get to learn. I, I always recommend people who are brand new, go find a near toss and fetch league um, or a up dog uh, disc club uh, where you can get involved. Very, very newbie friendly. You can just show up. Most of the clubs have extra discs lying around. Um, where they can get you involved. And then, you know, mostly your dog has to have a little bit of drive. They have to want to be able to chase something. Um, 
throwing rollers uh, is a great way to get a young dog or even an older dog. Um, so uh, kind of everything ties back to disc golf, right? So like my roller game for disc golf is pretty mean because I can throw a mean roller <laughs> nice. for disc dogs. So it always applies back. Uh, but yeah, working um, with your dog doing rollers first and short throws and always have another disc to trade them with. And they'll start to get the game that it's like chasing a ball. And eventually, they'll start to get the game where like, you can keep going and throw like 10, 12, 15 throws for them and then take a break. Like five, 10 minute short sessions. You don't want to overwork them. You don't want to kill these dogs, right? <laughs> but um, usually, when I tell people when they want to train their dog uh, for a disc dog, uh, a lot of short sessions. And one one of the secrets of the pros, if you will, um, I like to tell people, if your dog doesn't like playing with discs, go ahead and take a Frisbee like this, put their kibble right in the disc, feed them from the Frisbee, then go play with it. The crumbs and all, they, they'll associate, especially if your dog is food driven, they'll associate that disc with that food and then all of a sudden, oh, this is a fun toy to play with. It reminds me of the food I just ate. Hmm. That, uh... That is a really good idea. Um, do you have any issues with your dogs eating up your actual disc golf discs? So I take very extra special care to make sure my disc golf discs don't get mixed up with my dog safe discs. Um, in fact, my dogs, I pretty much teach them to leave them alone. Um, and I try not to throw my disc golf discs around my dogs because they will go get them. Uh, and they will try and snag them out of the air. Um, my dogs would not be the type of dogs I can take to a disc golf course. They would be, they're not the best caddies, if you will. Yeah. They're terrible. They would be barking incessantly. They'd be running over the course, chasing frisbees, flying through the air, you know, uh, and I take very special care to make sure because disc golf discs are not the best discs for dogs. In fact, I've seen quite a few dogs get teeth knocked out um, from throwing a disc golf disc and dogs catching it and just bam, smash. So um, I always recommend uh, dog safe discs from like Hero Disc USA. Um, that's who I primarily throw uh, both in the backyard and competitively. Um, there's other companies uh, like um, Hyperflight. They also have a dog safe disc. Believe it or not, Latitude 64 has the Opto Bite disc, uh, which is dog safe for the our European viewers um, who can't get Hero disc. Um, and I believe uh, Whammo still has the Fastbacks that are dog safe. Um, you can get them. I forget who carries them. I think it's Discovering the World might still have them. Um, but yeah, uh, me, I mostly throw Hero Disc. Um, that's what I like to throw. They die the best. Uh, and um, I found a couple of plastic uh, types that really work for my dog that are safe but durable. Like they'll last a long time. Hmm. What makes. Um a dog safe discs like what's the difference between one of those and something that you would throw on the course great question um a lot of it is believe it or not weight um most dog safe discs are going to be under 150 grams and the design of the disc 
um, allow for a dog to bite down on it. So, like, think of it like a destroyer that has a really hard brim. Well, that's got a lot of force when it hits something. Imagine, like, throwing a disc and it hitting a tree. Well, you got to think that's hitting a dog's teeth and mouth. So, you kind of keep that in mind. So, um, believe it or not, um, the Garrett Gerthy Sonic is actually the same mold that I throw that's dog safe. And in, in fact, this is actually one of the first discs I died. This is a uh, Hero uh, Supersonic 215, and it's in what we call taffy plastic, but it's more tuned to, like, star. But this is only about 120, 123 grams compared to a disc golf disc, which may be, you know, 168 and above all the way up to 180. So what actually got you into disc dying? So um, actually, when I got into disc golf for the first time, and that had been, it was literally right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was like February 2020. I went out for the first time, and I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to get out and play a lot of disc golf. And then the pandemic hit, and everything shut down. Disc golf didn't really shut down, but like, we, when that in certain time, I'm like, wow, I, of course, my luck, I get into something that I absolutely <laughs> and become obsessed with. You know, I think that that day after I left the course, I went out to my local disc golf shop and I probably dropped easily $300 in discs. I'm like zero to a hundred. There is no in between. I'm either all in or I'm not. So I got like all these and I didn't know what I was grabbing. Like one of the guys in the shop was like, oh, get a putter, mid-range, fairway driver. And I actually got a, a Innova starter kit and ordered a bunch of other discs on top of it. I was very lucky because the discs I ordered um, and grabbed that day were all star plastic. So that will foreshadow to you in a little bit. Um, but yeah, um, I did a tournament um a flex start tournament i think in like august maybe late july august of 2020 and one of my card mates whipped out a disc that had like this awesome design with like the batman logo on it i'm like oh where'd you get that disc he goes oh uh, one of my buddies the disc dyer i'm like disc dying like that sounds cool goes yeah like there's a whole community out there that does it uh, you should check it out on YouTube. So I'm like, that's like that. Uh, me having zero artistic background, like I couldn't draw anything to save my life for it. So of course, how most people got involved into disc dying, I come across Bobby from T Diddy, and I watched some of his shows, and I actually, um, I actually had him commissioned him to do a disc for me. So one of my dogs, his name is Earnhardt from uh, Dale Earnhardt of the NASCAR fame. And I'm a big Earnhardt fan growing up. Like even Dale Jr. and just racing in general, Formula One, MotoGP, like any type of racing. I grew up racing uh, when I was a young kid. So I just love anything racing. So when I got Earnhardt, I'm like, I should get an Earnhardt disc. You know, just to, to uh, what the heck, why not? So then Bobby, uh, I tell him, he goes, well, I, I, here's what I have. I'm like, uh, let's get a Wraith. I, I don't know what a Wraith is, but like, let's get it. Why not? And he gives me this. And, and the coolest thing about it was when he was doing his live streams, I actually got to watch him make the disc live 
And I ended up with this bad boy. And this inspired the heck out of me because when I received this disc, he had actually handwritten a note that says, no matter what your passions are, just go out and do it. The difference is doing it, as, as his name is known. So that kind of lit a fire to my butt. I'm like, you know what? I should do this. I should try it. And so I grabbed some of my disc dog discs. And my first ever disc was a shaving cream bed uh, with some iodide poly red, yellow, orange. And uh, I live streamed it on, on Facebook. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm trying something new called disc dying. I maybe had three people watching. But, like, I was inspired by Bobby from T. Diddy. And uh, then from there, I found the uh, Disc Dyers uh, page on Facebook, as most of us have. Uh, and I started networking with people. And that's how I got to learn all about disc dyeing and different techniques. But when I was just getting started, like, I, I was seeing these amazing, incredible pieces. And meanwhile, I have... I have this. This is my second disc I've ever done. Oh, hold on. There you go. My second disc I've ever done. And I'm like, compare this to some of the stuff I was seeing on Facebook. I'm like, I've got a lot of work to do, but I'm not artistic. But like color theory and all that really intrigued me. Hmm. So at that point, like I said, zero to hundred. At that point, I got every single die that was available. Uh, on Pro Chemical and Dye. I got every eye dye poly. I got every worm dip. I got every uh, medium I could find. And at that point, like I tried not to just copy what other people were doing. I really tried to experiment and find my own way. Um, and that's just how I am in general. I like to, I'm a tinker. I like to figure things out. And from there, I just started trying new stuff and I would see what would happen if I left the bid in for 12 hours versus 24 hours. I had a long weekend. I left a disc in there for 72 hours and like, oh, wow, the longer you leave it in, you know, the more saturated it gets. Or maybe uh, I didn't put enough dye uh, in that in that lotion and maybe I didn't shake it up enough. Um, man, if I, what I know now, when knowing back then, I would have saved myself <laughs> quite a bit of time and, di and the amount of disc that ended up just giving away to people that were, you know, not the best dyes, but still you got to go out there and try it. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, that, uh, Bobby, uh, died a disc for you and it, uh, his note inspired you to do it. Um, I feel like I'm the same way where I like to tinker and, um, I'm all in on something. So that's. That's awesome uh, and funny. Um, yeah, what I feel like you've tried all methods, but what methods have you tried for dyeing? So, um, started off like most people with a shaving cream bed. Mm -hmm. um, then I went to, I, it was like kind of like in waves. I tried not to follow the trend, but I was looking what other people were doing um, to see, oh, maybe I should try that sometime. So, naturally went to lotions and I tried all the different lotions. Uh, of course, as most people have, uh, Queen Helen's Reign Supreme uh, on the lotion. Uh, and uh, 
checking out at Walmart with 20 <laughs> bottles of Queen Helen will raise some eyebrows. Yeah. Um, I did that and I had like a bunch of paper towel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it was very, very interesting. Uh, and then, um, then I tried both clear and white glue. Um, then I tried, um, like dish detergent. I tried, um, you know, uh, dish detergent mixed with lotion. I tried, uh, I think I even tried mayonnaise at one point. Uh, that did not turn out well. I was just, you know, like I, I tried anything and everything. Um, I think I tried mixing dye with olive oil, um, does not do what you think it would just makes it clumpy but i was trying new stuff just experimenting having fun with it and trying not to i mean just a, a quarter of a teaspoon of dye you know kind of goes a long way when you're you know buy you know a giant thing of dye yeah. like this is eight ounces of dye a quarter of a teaspoon will go quite a bit when you're experimenting that's awesome that you uh took the initiative to experiment and literally try different things um in your experimentation in general, was there any like surprises or aha moments that you found? The one thing I really wish I'd found out much earlier was that you can reuse glue beds. I was going through glue very, very quickly. And I would make these really crazy uh, glue designs. Um, and I just remember being like, I am going through so much glue and I am breaking some little child's heart as we're trying to get a hold of this glue for slime and we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm just buying up glue as much as I can, you know, just because I knew I was going to need it. Um, not like I was trying to hoard it, but mm. I was buying it by the case at that point. And uh, I wish I had learned that sooner. Uh, and still to this day, like, uh, even with what I'm now on with Floetrol, like, I hard pressed to not me, not me uh, doing a minimum of twelve generations in a bed. So I I, I go the distance with, with my beds a little bit more economical that way yeah. for sure. But um, when you start adding Floetrol uh, and different colors, eventually you're going to muddy up where it's just coming to become brown. But there are some things you can do to kind of rejuvenate that color just by swirling it around in the pan or adding just straight float white Floetrol and it will change that brown into maybe a deep mahogany or rich maroon. And then you can color that with, you know, you know, complementary colors and make it into a nice like crimson red and pair that with like a neon uh, lemon zest or something like that and now you now you're back in the game baby now, now that that 12th generation bed goes 13 14 15 and then you're like you know what i'm starting to run out of flow troll now like maybe i should retire this bed and clean out the pan that's awesome um i find it fascinating that a lot of disc dyers don't claim to be artists but you're still creating art um I mean, you basically learned art through disc dyeing? Yeah. And you know what? Um, uh, something I kind of failed to mention uh, is that, believe it or not, Tar Heel Custom Discs is not just me. 
Um, I actually have two friends of mine that are disc doggers um, that saw what I was doing and they want to try it. So I'm like, come over to my house. Let's have a dying party. And then the bug bit them and we're a collection of three. So um, my uh, my good buddy Kevin Johnson and uh, Jennifer Bell Connell, they're my co-dyers. When we started Tar Heel Custom Disc, we're all equal owners to the company. Um, and uh, between the three of us, we all found our little niche that uh, of our artistic style um, that people seem to love. So like when you look at the Tar Heel like Instagram, if you know us, you can kind of picture, oh, that's a Tim die, that's Kevin, that's Jennifer. If it's a big floral p- pattern, it's probably Jen. Um, her, her her glue beds are fantastic. Whereas I like to go a little bit cellular. I've been really experimenting with the cells. Um, and, uh, you know, different swipe patterns um, with saran wrap. I've been doing a lot of that lately. Um, but also we'll kick it back with a good old fashioned, uh, lotion dye. Uh, and I have dabbled in stencils. Uh, I actually have my, uh, silhouette, uh, cameo four behind me. Um, but it's kind of interesting with stencils for disc dog disc. So m- maybe someone from the guild can help me out with this one. So like for hero discs. They have these rings that are called the Rings of Hedrick. They're actually meant for not just grip, but also aerodynamics to help keep the disc stable. Um, So these rings are a pain when it comes to getting adhesion for vinyl and often is a trap for dye and creates a lot of bubbles. So I had to become very, very proficient in rolling a disc into a bed to try and prevent that as much as possible. Um, In fact, I think it was Keith uh, that said, you know, about breaking surface tension. Um, uh, Many a times, especially on on your show, uh, that really is 100% true. Uh, Like the way you have to roll a bed in the disc, especially when you have to deal with those rings, it definitely makes a difference. Uh, just putting it straight down, you know, like the old Berg bubble, it, it's very, very susceptible to that. And you have to be very, very careful. Yeah, that definitely seems like a unique challenge with those ridges. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned breaking the surface tension, but do you have any trade secrets that you found to help reduce trapping the air in those? So um, definitely uh, do yourself a favor and get rid of as many air bubbles from the surface of the bed as possible. Um, in fact, I have it right here. My creme brulee uh, little torch uh, has, this is my go-to. This is my ride and die right here. This helps get rid of so many bubbles to at least set you up for success. Um, but taking your time and I have a really nice light that's next to my die station where if I'm pointing it right down at the disc, when I and because these discs have a white background, when I lay it down into the disc, I can kind of see when the bed and the disc have made contact, and I can literally watch it ride all the way through uh, until it's all the way down. And then I, I, I give it like a little bit of push. I try not to mush it down. I think that's a, a mistake I made in the very beginning, uh, not 
bottoming out, but just give it a little push, kind of, you know, roll it around a little bit. I wouldn't say lift it, because that's I think that might create an air bubble, but just an, enough to where if there is any bubbles, it's going to work its way to the edges. So if you do have bubbles, how do you mitigate that? Generally speaking, if, if there's a bubble and I there's nothing I can do about it, most of the time I'll let it ride. Um, I may be able to go in and hit it with some worm dip, but if it's like part of like, you know, a cell die or something like that, I might be able to take like saran wrap or, um, or a sponge and just take like, if I say, if I've uh, did like a saran wrap dip, I'll just take a sponge and just dip it into this excess, uh, dye and just try and dab over it and try and cover it up. But I've gotten, um, you know, knock on wood, I've gotten really good at mitigating it. But sometimes like, there's just nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. It's, if it's just part of the design, it is what it is. And most people don't seem to really mind it because they're like, they're not really looking for it or they think it's part of the design. Yes. Um, as artists, we noticed all our mistakes that no one will ever notice unless you point them out. I've had a near perfect disc that had the ever so slight bleed from a stencil. They didn't notice it. And like they put it up on Instagram and all this and shared like, oh, uh, thank you, Tar Heel Custom Disc for this amazing disc. But every time I see it come up, every time I see it at a tournament where like he waves to the crowd with the disc in his hand, I'm like, there it is, right next to the the handle of the sword. Like it's right there. Please, Ooh. nobody notice. <laughs> <laughs> no one will notice. Um, Just me and other dyers, of course. What? Uh, so, how did you find out what uh, dog safe discs were dyeable, and how did you settle on what you dye now? Great question. Um, I literally went out and bought uh, five of each in all different plastic types. Um, I experimented. In fact, there are some uh, hero discs that will die, but it's almost like um, DX plastic. Mm. It will more like shade and then it will like be gone in two weeks. I think that's something that uh, people tend to forget that when we die discs, it is always continually dying and the plastic is sucking in that dye. Um, and that design will never stay perfect forever. I mean, it's just, it's physics. It's how the plastic accepts the dye. It's just, it is what it is. But some of these plastics soak it up like a sponge and that initial pop may look great. Give it two weeks. That shit's going to be gone. It's going to disappear. And uh, I've had I've had some great discs where uh, when I was first starting out, um, where it was baseline plastic, and it came out really really good. The bed was amazing, and I remember one I had it in there for forty eight hours, and I picked it up and it literally just slid right off. It was literally <laughs> just I'm like. Nothing took to this at all. It was in there for 48 hours. It didn't do anything. And I'm thinking to myself, did I not make a good saturation in the lotion? Uh, I just didn't know. But then I started to realize 
uh, you know, looking at disc golf discs because at the, at the time I was starting to do both. Then um, I'm like, oh, like the die acceptance chart. Different plastics are going to have different results. So uh, from my own research and my own trying and experimenting, I found which plastics from Hero and Hyperflight uh, took die. Um, but really, the the Hero Disc Super series seems to do the best. Um, it's more attuned to Star and Champion Plastics from Innova. Um, but uh, it has uh, some subtle differences, for sure. So I know they take die well, but in the profession that you use them in, is there a difference or um, do people have specific preferences of like what plastics they like to use? Great question. In fact, this is a, a topic I can talk about ad nauseum. <laughs> um, it's not even just this, this type of plastic. It's also the size of the disc. So dog discs uh, come in varying sizes uh, in anywhere from 120 millimeters all the way up to 235 millimeters. Um, their standards are 120, 185. 185 is like a great um, miniature disc for like, I don't know, like a mini Aussie or um, maybe dogs with much more smaller stature. Then you have the 215, uh, which bumps up in the size. That's actually this disc right here is 215 millimeters in diameter. Um, and then you have the 235, which is a little bit bigger still. Um, those are uh, meant for dogs that are bigger, uh, labs, um, you know, and any dogs that have a big mouth. Um, you can still throw 185s and 215s for bigger dogs, um, but it's entirely up to what your dog's preference is in both size and plastic. So there are going to be some dogs that have a softer bite, um, and maybe a hard plastic like uh, like champion plastic uh, or what we call canine candy um, may just be too hard for their dogs. It bounces off and they just don't like the hardness of the disc. So something like um, like a super arrow or uh, a taffy plastic um, would be better off. Uh, they do have a super soft um, version of the extra 215 from Hero. Um, that's super soft. Like that's almost like rubber um, in in feel, and it's very very grippy as well. Um, so if you're like playing out in the rain, or your dog just likes to slobber over discs, you know it gets a nice nice grip, but they don't take dye very well. Um, so that's just you know you have to pick and choose your battles. Uh, but for me, my dogs tend to prefer the Supersonic 215 from Hero and the Superstar 235 from Hero. Um, those are my go-to uh, what I play with my own dogs. Um, I also have the Superhero 235, which is the the translucent canine candy, kind of like champion plastic. Um, those are great for uh, dogs that have a super hard bite and will just tear up any disc they play with. It's the most durable disc. Um, and just like how champion plastic is, it is diable. But it takes longer. It has to sit in the bed longer. Requires more heat. Longer heat. Longer sit. Um, 
but I've had some really cool designs come from Hero, uh, Superhero 235s, that it's almost like that see-through plastic, but man, it makes that die pop really nice, especially in the sunlight. Oh, it looks so good. How long does a disc typically last? Depends on the dog. Yeah. Um, and I, my dogs, when I play with them, these discs are reserved for playing and not chomping. Mm. Like they're not chew toys. Yeah. Um, very, very important um, that if you want to get into disc dogs that you reserve these discs for when you're playing in the backyard or playing in the competition or at the park. You don't just let them sit there and chew on it like a chew toy. Um, first off, probably not good for your dog to swallow that plastic, number one. Um, and two, um, it just, it'll tear up the gums and tear up the teeth. Um, let them chew on it and, and bite it when they're playing. Well, that's the best way to do it. But the premium plastics tend to do better. Um, like the super series with hero. Um, there is the Hyperflight jaws series, um, which is a much more durable plastic as well. Um, and they have a bunch of different, like they have the Z, uh, Z Jaws Fang and the Hyperflex, which is a much more uh, bendable disc. Um, but every company is going to have a, a variety of different plastics to play with. Uh, but it's up to your dog to decide uh, what they want. And you, you do that by trial and error and figure out what they like. Yeah. So I'm laughing because now I know how a non-disc golfer feels when a disc golfer is talking about discs. Because <laughs> uh, all these discs and plastics I don't know about, and you're just spitting out names like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So I feel like the dogs don't necessarily chew up the discs, but how safe is a dyed disc for them to use? A wonderful question, and it's a question I get asked all the time. Um, I take extra special care in cleaning discs after I dye them. Uh, I'll put them through about four or five washes with both a sponge and a magic eraser, and I basically clean it until it come, it runs clean, until I can't get anything else off. Um, generally speaking, it's very safe. Because the the disc has absorbed the dye, and the only way it's going to become a problem is if the dog is ingesting the plastic. But if your dog is ingesting the plastic, you have bigger problems than the dye that's in it. Yeah. Um, the, the polyethylene blend is probably not good for your dog, um, but a, a very good question. And, um, you know... For a disc golf disc, you know, like you've heard stories of someone who's died a disc and they gave it to their customer and they didn't wash it well and then it starts bleeding off to other discs. Um, dog safe discs, they could bleed if you don't clean them enough. Um, but because the nature of you throwing the disc for your dog and them, you know, having it in their mouth, um, I've actually looked at the uh, MD5, the safety sheet from Pro Chemical. Uh, and die. Um, and it, it's, there's a bit of a gray area because their, their safety sheet is for the dye itself, not for what happens with what you do with the dye with the medium. Um, there have been companies have been dying discs for dogs. I've been playing disc dogs for eight years now. Uh, and my dog hasn't had an issue with it. So, 
Um, I would say it's safe um, for sure. But definitely, if you're going to be doing dog safe discs, like from Hero or Hyperflight, you really need to clean them exceptionally well. Like, it's got to be so clean that, you know, think of it like Thanksgiving dinner. You know, like, that plate better be spotless, crystal clean. Like, when you're scrubbing it with a magic eraser, it better be coming off clean. Yeah. Where no dye's coming off, for sure. No, that makes absolute sense. Um, You know, and... There's dye that the manufacturers use to color the disc, so there's still some pigment or dye in a disc. It's just, yeah, um, for that. So you have three partners in your business, and you kind of mentioned their style, but could you elaborate on what style and or dye technique that you guys do or that you think that you have? Yeah, so our particular style um, is a little bit all over the place. Um my technique would be more tuned to I like bright, vibrant colors. Um, I do do some stencils, um, but I like uh, getting like scientific with it, right? So I like doing the experimentation stuff, uh, color theory, like what complementary colors should go with each other, um, and then generational beds. I like to go and see how far I can stretch it. And what happens when you get down to the nitty gritty of it? Um, even after throwing in uh, silicone to make the the cells, um, well, what can happen when you go five, six, seven generations deep when the silicone is still in there, and then you start swirling it around? Um, I've actually so like, you know like how chefs have done. Don't recommend doing this indoors, by the way. Uh, you know, like how chefs will flip a pan to like kind of get it to. I've done that uh, to to really get the dye to fold over into itself before. Wow. Um, it can be a mess. Um, <laughs> would not recommend doing it on carpets. Speaking from experience, um, but yes, um, my, what my wife doesn't know doesn't hurt her. Right? That's what they say. She doesn't listen to this, right? <laughs> no, no. She, she'll listen about five minutes of it and like I'm done hearing your voice (laughs) Uh, but yeah just experimenting um i I like being like on the verge of finding where that line is um and trying to push past it and and see what's something that no one else has ever done and how can i get other people there so what is your current like uh, kick for dying method right now i'm balls deep in Floatrol and cells uh, and and different swipes. Um, absolutely love uh, the scientific and the physics behind it. You know, just uh, different colors. I just did uh, a all neon color uh, chameleon cell dye that the results were incredible. And I just went another generational bed this morning. Uh, of that same bed and just like I can't not get a good disc out of this bed like I could literally just pick one up drop put another one in and it's just going to be fire every time like I'm I'm so impressed by how it's going out um, there's a couple other beds that I, I currently have right now I have an all blues disc um, so I have Oh, let's see. Caribbean blue, sonic blue, flag blue, uh, teal blue, I die poly blue. And I did about f- 
five or six generations of that. And then when the blues all started kind of merging together, then I hit it with like a lilac or a, or a neon royal purple and just do an outside border of it and just center saran wrap pull. And now we're c- cooking with fire now. Now we got something crazy happening. And then you just start doing a little bit of cells here and there, maybe out along the outside, a spiral pattern of cells to the center. Uh, and now you get some really crazy designs. And like when the bed translate to the disc and it comes out how you how you want it to oh that's the bee's knees right there you love to see it i loved how enthused you are about this this is awesome oh yeah dude like it's <laughs> and and here's the thing it's funny because i'm sure a lot of dyers actually kind of go through this there was a, being in uh, the dog sports world like there was a period of about 3 or 4 months where I just had events every single weekend and just, I, there was no break. You know, I had putting league on Tuesdays and then PDGA league on Thursdays and then Friday, Saturday, Saturday, we're traveling. And then Monday I'm catching up on work and I'm like, where will this dying fit in this schedule? So like what ended up happening is I ended up getting a bit of creator's block. I didn't know where to start. So whenever I do that, I take it back to the basics. I'll start off with just a simple spin die and you know do a rainbow spin just to get that creative juice flowing and then maybe I'll try a lollipop. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then I'll go into a lotion bed and just kind of do like a rainbow gradient. Um, for some reason I tend to gravitate toward rainbow. I just love having the color progression. Um, and then I'll uh, break out some Floetrol and just start mixing up colors. Sometimes I'll, I will just make colors and not even make a bed. I'll just experiment with just what happens if I throw a little bit of neon, uh, like neon key lime and then a little bit of lemon zest and shake that up and see what kind of color you get from that. And then mix that with like, well, let's see, you got a, a yellow and a green. Let's go with a mix of blue and a purple, and then let's alternate those colors on on a white Floetrol bed, and then swipe and see what happens. Well, guess what? You might get a little bit muddiness there because those colors don't mix well. Um, but just like that experimentation behind it, um, it kind of gets those creative juices flowing, gets you out of that funk, that rut, um, and also you know checking out. Uh, what other fellow dyers are doing to just kind of get that inspiration. Um, Not copying them per se, Mm -hmm. um, but just seeing what's out there and seeing like what, what's going to just look and go, you know what? That's pretty cool. Let me see if I can figure out how we did that, you know, and maybe that will lead to another thing that leads to another thing. And now you get into the like, the color theory and you find those complementary colors and you get some really, really cool looking dyes. Yeah. Um, experimenting and learning from your mistakes is a huge part of learning. Um, and the color wheel and learning your colors of what works together and what makes poop Brown, um, seems to be very important as well. Yes, for sure. Uh, and speaking of colors, what are your favorite colors to use? Ooh, I am a sucker for Caribbean blue. Hmm. 
Uh, Caribbean Blue was one that when I first started using it, I just could not get any type of good saturation or vib or vibrance out of it. Well, it turns out that I had to increase the amount of dye I was putting in my mixes, and I got to hit it with some heat too. Um, I think that is something that a dyer can do that can absolutely increase the saturation, and that is adding heat. Whether it's putting it in uh, under a heat lamp or putting it in a dehydrator um, or hitting the bed with uh, you know your, your blowtorch, that can absolutely make a big difference. Um, and it took me a long time to learn that. Um, I think it was actually a Facebook post in the Dyers group that someone said, I think, actually, I think it was Daddy Mac that was, or, or maybe it was Sean Sarge. Um, one of them, one of like the big boys, you know, uh, in the dying world, they, they said, add heat, it will change your life. And boy, were they right. And it changed my die game tenfold for sure. Yeah, heat does make a big difference. Um, somewhat of a somewhat general question, but how long do you let your bed sit for? And I guess for specific beds. So, uh, Floetrol beds, um, I recently got a dehydrator mm. and I've been kind of been playing with the settings because. I'll put the dehydrator at a certain temperature and then an hour later I'll go in and I'll I'll hit it with a an infrared thermometer and while the outside temperature uh, of the dehydrator will say 1 the disc is not getting to that temperature. So I generally like my disc to be somewhere around 105 to 115 120 at the max. Any hotter, and then you're risking causing the disc to warp. Um, but I, I like my disc at, at a higher temp, about anywhere from 98 to 115 is my, my sweet spot. And depending on the plastic, um, star uh, will be anywhere from 60 minutes up to two hours. Uh, and champion plastic, I usually will hit it for... A minimum of three hours um, but I've gone low and slow on a champion disc uh, for eight hours on, on like a, a, a heating bed and I've gotten some really good saturation on it um, but a lot of it is I feel a lot of it is experimentation mm -hmm. like especially between runs of discs like it is star plastic but maybe there's just something a slightly different in this particular run of plastic that, you know, needs a little bit more heat. And I, I take notes. I have a, a spreadsheet that I've I've tried to keep track of orders in different boxes so I can kind of keep myself organized. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, like, this is, this dying has allowed me to focus, um, which having ADHD uh, is sometimes a problem for me. But when I'm on my game, I almost hyper-focus into disc dying. And uh, it allows me to put that creative output onto a, a physical disc. And like I get 
like instant gratification of like I made this, not the disc, but I made this die, mm-hmm. and this design is mine, and I get to share that with the world. Whether that's me throwing for my dog and getting some wicked awesome pictures of my dog catching a dyed disc, and then everyone says, "Where'd you get that disc?" Right here, baby. That's where <laughs> it came from. Right from my hands. Nice. That kind of leads into the next question that I have is what does disc dying mean to you? Um, It's definitely a means of exploration to an artistic side I never knew I had. Um, I, during high school, like I was very much like engineer uh, mindset. Like my job is in IT, but like, I always took electives with the technology teacher, uh, whether it was drafting and design, where it was using T-squares and like doing like architecture or floor plans or like manufacturing like a product or something like that or using CAD. Um, that always interests me, but I never took an art elective because it it just, just didn't interest me. Colors did. Like I, I, I would love looking at like um those um acrylic pours like i always like i remember for years like looking at youtube videos of like someone doing a giant canvas of like these acrylic pours and i'm like man i'd love to have one of those on my on my wall but yeah so like it was just i always had that like scientific mindset so like this definitely scratches an itch for me where it's exploring and trying new things and like if I do this it will lead to that. If I do this, this is what happens. Can I repeat this? Is it a repeatable like almost like the scientific method? Is it something that I can repeat over and over and over again? And guess what? Most of the times you can't. Not exact. And that's what makes disc dying really, really cool is because every disc, no matter what you do, is going to be truly unique. You'll never, ever get an exact copy unless, like, you do, like, a Dymax, but where, like, it's printed on. Mm. But I don't know. Hot take, I guess. I think that's kind of cheating. But some could say the same thing about stencils. You know, if you use a, a, a vinyl machine versus hand cut, I will never hand cut anything like yeah. that ability to draw not there ability to cut with a a uh, an exacto knife not there mm-hmm. but I can put an image uh, in the silhouette studio and I can you know manipulate it into a stencil that I can use um, most of the time I try and find stuff that uh is not going to cause trouble with copyright. I know that's a big argument in, in our community, um, but for the most time, like if I do something that might be controversial, it's going in my own bag. I'm not selling it. Yeah. Most of my the things that I sell are like my own creations and my own designs or interpretations of something. Like there was a guy that um, he had a castaplast berg and he was really into uh adventure time so i took the (coughs) i took the font of adventure time and put his name on the disc 
and then had two of the famous swords from the show and made like a crossing pattern. So like, Grant, it wasn't like a a taken design. It was used with interpretation, mm-hmm. and I added my own flair to it. And it and it was really really cool how it came out. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I think everybody. I think uh, Daddy Mac Die said this as well that everybody needs a creative outlet um, to express. You may not feel like you're creative, or you don't think like you're an artist. Um, but it's, uh, I think everybody needs to have that just to um, tickle that part of the brain um, to be well balanced. But yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, where do you get your inspirations or ideas for your disc dies? My inspiration for dies, a lot of it is just experimentation um, and just, you know, what colors are in front of me because I have a majority, if not all the colors available to me. So it's just like, let's try this, this, and this. And let's just see what happens. Um, you know, like, obviously, I'm not going to pick two colors that are going to make into a brown, but I try to find complementary colors. But there's enough variation out there when you mix, you know, similar blues or similar oranges or similar reds that you're going to get a different outcome each time. Um, and then when you come into generational beds, you get even wilder results when you start throwing in wild card dyes that shouldn't go in there, um, whether it be. Um, use of negative space of using just white Floetrol and just letting it ride from there. Like you can get some really crazy results, um, often unexpected. And that unexpectedness um, is one of the driving factors of like, <clears throat> what is something that I can do that's just going to completely change and, and flip this upside down and, quite literally often what it's doing when you're doing those type of negative space um, saran wrap pulls, you're literally pulling the die from the bottom up to the top um, and dragging that white die that was on the top or the white, not white die, the white flow trawl. There is no such thing as white die. Um, the white flow trawl just kind of covers it, but now you have all that die below it um, that the different densities. So that's where the chameleon cells can really come into play. So just by using a little bit of a tap, tap, tap with some silicone, oh man, that's where the magic comes. And that's where unexpected outcomes will happen. Um, and you will get some cells that literally encompass all the colors you are working with all in a singular cell. And you're like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I think I'm just good with that. So if I could just make that one cell and just explode it out, yeah. I haven't quite gotten that good at making a single cell die. Um, but yeah, it's like, okay, let's, let's keep going. Like that, that one is amazing. Um, but always, if there is one thing I could recommend to people is keep that heat on while you're doing those cells. I'll, I'll give it time to develop, but add that heat and give it a little helping hand. Um, especially when you're using multi-colors, sometimes after you do those chameleon taps, sometimes it's really hard to see where you tap before. Um, so I actually use my light and I'll put it on an angle so I can kind of see the silicone outline of where the cell will form. But generally speaking, I work in rows and then, uh, we'll add some heat, hit it with the creme brulee, uh, 
uh, torch and then build up from there. But uh, for the most part, uh, just I've done a chameleon cell die. And then after I've done it, I've literally taken it and just swirled it just to see what happened. It was a perfectly good chameleon cell die, but I wanted to see what, what would happen. I wasn't exactly pleased. I wish I hadn't <laughs> done it, but you know, like that's what it's all about. It's all yeah. about that experimentation. I mean, a bed is relatively cheap. Um, so experiment with that. And uh, yeah, in your mind, what is the hardest part about this tying and what's the easiest part? The hardest part is probably getting a hold of discs that people want to throw, especially in disc golf, because a lot of people really want particular molds and in particular weights. And the pandemic didn't do us any favors when disc golf companies were just putting out max weight discs. So for the, the noodle arms out there that can't really throw max weight discs, um, it really put a challenge for them. And I, I remember I had a bunch of disc golf discs where the dies were amazing, but they were in molds that no one really wanted because they already had a bunch of them in their bag. Um, so like a lot of them were destroyers. A lot of them were uh, Mako 3s. Um, I still have a dynamic captain that no one's picked up like it's sitting at, at a local disc golf shop right now and i check in and i'm like still on the shelf <laughs> like oh you poor guy someone you'll find a good home eventually um but th so that's actually something that uh i kind of found uh, that niche in the disc dog uh, world is that there's a lot less variation mm. in molds so I can streamline my process and have and bang out a bunch of different discs that they're mostly the same weights and mold, but I don't have to worry about oh well this person wants a you know a, a wraith rather than a destroyer or they want the the Garrett Gurthy Taurus series wraith that might be just a little bit more domier than than a flat wraith or or something along those lines like the disc golf disc golf dies i think are harder because there's so much selection out there and that there are going to be there's your innova fanboys there's your 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 trilogy fanboys there's your mvp fanboys where yep and, and there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that like once yeah. you find a company that you really enjoy whether it's just because of you know the that sponsored athletes that they support uh or the plastic just feels that good in your hand or you've thrown everything and you just have a mixed bag of discs that do right for you mm -hmm. you know for me I, I went through all the i even tried a couple couple latitude 64 opto bite discs but for me it just for disc dog uh hero disc landed in my hands and just never left for me I tend to gravitate toward Innova just because Innova and Hero uh, are uh, owned by the same company. Um, but I will also, I have a bunch of uh, dynamic discs. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kona Montgomery. Uh, in fact, her disc is signed right there. That's her Tour Series Mako 3. And I have her, uh, oh, that one's at my work. I have her 
her first disc that she launched when she joined Team Dynamic on my wall at work um, that she had signed. So big fan of hers. Um, and uh, I also have my Garrett Gerthy Sonic because the Sonic is the same mold I throw for the disc dog. So when I saw a, a Double G at USDGC, uh, I showed him, I'm like, listen, this is my disc dog disc. And like, he goes like, oh shit. It's like, wow, I could throw this over the lake with no problem. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, uh, Double G's uh, pretty awesome. He's, he's also one of my favorites. That is a very uh, interesting perspective of the variations of um, molds and weights for uh, discs for dogs versus the almost lim- uh, unlimitless amount that we have as uh, disc golfers. Um which does make it easy for disc dying. It does. Um, but you're never going to please everyone. Yeah. Um, even in the disc dog world, like there, sometimes uh, there are like little dogs that have to use the 185s. Mm. Um, and they, for a while, they didn't have any in the taffy plastic. Um, so I couldn't dye them. They just wasn't in production and I had to wait. Uh, and then finally, when they came in production, those dogs grew, and now they're ju- throwing for 215. So <laughs> I had this giant order 185s to the people that wanted them, and all of a sudden, their dog decided to grow uh, and triple in size, and now they don't want the 185s anymore. So, But uh, that's the cool thing about this dogs as young pups. Uh, you can play this dog with your young pup um, and do the foundations to keep it safe. Like, mm. if you have a brand-new pup, I would not recommend throwing – in the air keep those four paws on the ground do rollers and little short throws yeah but. is there anything that you would like to develop with your disc dying craft or any other uh direction that you want to go or experiments that you want to try yes what i would love to do is i would love to get some of the uh disc dog discs in the hands of some of the big boys in the game and and see what they can do with it um, especially like I've struggled with stencils because of the, the rings of Hedrick and trying to get that, that vinyl to really adhere. I've done a bunch of hot dips, um, where like I've done just the center of the disc and mm. basically took the rings out and I would do a stencil die on, on the, on the front, on the front flight plate. And then after that has been at least gotten the black outline of it, then I'll do some type of outside uh, dye and multi-stage and do multi, I do a shaving cream bed or a lotion bed and then hand paint uh, the design in the center. I've done that before, um, but to do like a full size stencil dye um, where I can tackle those rings of Hedrick without difficulty uh, that's something i would love to be able to figure out i mean i've i've been trying um but uh i've kind of like gotten to impasse and i'm like it i'm getting like diminished returns here and i don't know if this is a hurdle that i can overcome so let's go back to the experiment experimentation of the other stuff and then revisit it when it's and I've tried different vinyls. I've tried 651. I've tried 631. I've tried the Cricket brand. Uh, I've tried um, the Sizer. Uh, I've tried a like I said zero or hundred. You either get everything or you get nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I went I went all in and got all this different vinyl yeah. and different colors, whether it be matte or uh, 
or glossy and just none of it would work the way I wanted it to. Like I've even tried uh, doing what uh, Keith and I think it was Keith. Yeah, I think it was Keith. Um, where they said, oh, put it in like a hot water bath to get it to adhere. Well, it would adhere, but like those rings were still like, mm-hmm. it was a point, especially if it was a cut on those rings. Yeah. Um, there's not much you can do about that. Yeah. Um, you, you have to, even with the adhesion I was trying, just, I I've, I took a hair dryer to it. I took a heat gun. I've tried it all, but I just could not get it here enough because of those rings of Hedrick. There's just not much you can do with it. Yeah. I feel like it's also um, stencil specific, like highly detailed stencils. Good luck. If it's yeah. more basic, I can see it working potentially better. If you do Huck Lab on that, that's a pretty basic stencil that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I worry about a bleed on that, though. Yeah, I mean... Because I, I worry about... Because those rings are so fine, mm. I worried that once the dye got in there, it's just going to feed. Like, I have... Uh, I'll, I'll show it to you later, but uh, there's a disc that I was worrying on. I did one for my own dog, um, and I had the vinyl just on the edge. And I'm like, I, I adhesed it. I put in a hot water bath. I used uh, a heat gun, and I thought I had good adhesion. And then I did a... Uh, a hot dip on it and I, I thought it was good I pulled it up and it just ran all like halfway around the <laughs> ring of the disc I'm like oh no it's ruined well now you gotta think of ways how that could be useful but um, yeah now I wanna try uh, but I feel like if you like when people do the automotive vinyl they really use the heat gun to deform it to mold to the crevices so, yeah. so really doing that and you could try something else besides hot dipping, um, like the denatured alcohol, brushing that on. Yeah, I, I had thought about that too. Um, the The reason why I was so married to the hot dip is because for this particular design, I was looking for a true, true black. Mm-hmm. Um, that and I was time was kind of against me at that point. Um, I was I was trying to meet a deadline, and I needed to be able to get that stencil on there and quickly. And I was doing about 30 discs. So I needed something, I needed to hit it rapidly and I didn't have enough time to hit it with like alcohol or a lotion dip or lotion uh, paint. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is what it is. And sometimes you just got to work around or with what you got. So yeah, for sure. But that's, that's the beauty of this is that it, you're forever learning and trying to push those boundaries. And mm-hmm. and that's something that's frustrating yet enjoyable for me um, because um, I could take that same design and put it on like an Innova J where it's nice and flat and that stencil is going to ride like there's no tomorrow, no problem. Put it on a, a Supersonic 215 or Superstar 235 um, with those reins of Hedrick, now, you, now you're got a challenge you have to work around but that's what it's all about working through those and adapting to those challenges and changes absolutely um so if you had to start disc dying over again is there anything that you do differently now knowing what you know i would have expanded my disc golf um 
discs because I at the time I fell into the trap of becoming another fanboy, mm. and I purposely didn't dye other brands until I started seeing other people with like the Opto Glimmer and other like really fantastic plastics that just take dye beautifully. Um, or lucid plastic, you know, like all these like really nice plastics that just take it really, really well. Uh, I wish I didn't close myself off uh, in the beginning uh, and got a chance to really experiment the way I did with Heroes and got one of everything. Now, kind of hard to do that with Disc Off Disc because there's so many different companies, but at least gotten one of different plastic types that may have already been known to accept dye well and then experiment from that um like the dye acceptance chart that uh, a bunch of people in the community have contributed towards um which have saved us time and money of course um because the upfront cost of this was not cheap like i have like this this uh metal rack holds all my dyes and it holds my dehydrator on the top and it's got all my supplies uh, like this alone was about like 150 bucks. All the dye here in here, plus the all the containers below, it wasn't cheap. I would say probably the starting cost. That's not even including the vinyl cutter, uh, and not including the plastic was probably close to 700 dollars. When you when you take into account everything that you get, like the 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 bottles, the you know the measurement container cups, you know. You go in deep. Like I said, <laughs> zero or a hundred, there is no in-between. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a free or a, an affordable, fun hobby here, Tim. <laughs> I missed that memo. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it can, like anything, it can get expensive fast, but um, it's cheaper than drugs. At least I think. Maybe. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> and more enjoyable, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, the die acceptance chart, people can find that on the Dyers Guild. Um, I have a current one and I redid what was existing. So I've been trying to keep that up to date. And um, now I think I want to add some of those dog uh, safe discs on there as well. That'd be great. Yeah, I will definitely help you uh, and show you what does and doesn't work. Fantastic. I will definitely do that. Um, do you have any imparting wisdoms that you would give either new disc dyers or... Uh, some ex uh, experienced disc tires out there or tips and tricks? For the newbies out there, I would definitely take your own path and learn through experimentation. Uh, I've actually taken about three or four dyers under my wing who I saw that were just getting started. I just happened to see them at a disc dog event and they're talking about it. And, uh, I remember she'd asked me a couple of questions and I'm like, so do you want the short or the long answer? Do you want me to give the answer or you want, you want to figure it out yourself? She goes, point me in the direction and let me fly. I'm like, I got you. So I, I gave her some tips, uh, what dye I used, um, some of my temperatures. And, you know, and when she asked like, well, what about this? And I'm like, go for it. And she actually just started her own company just a couple months ago. And all on her own, she has put up amazing, amazing dyes. Like, I think some of them are better than the ones I've done before. And all she needed was just a little bit of encouragement. Um, 
so spicy dogs disc dies I'll give her a little bit of a plug um you know she uh, amy uh, just all she wanted to do was just get into it and she just needed a little push and encouragement uh to just do it you know like like bobby says the, the difference is doing it right um she, like he was to me i was to her and then she took it and ran with it it's up to you as a dyer to be willing to take that leap and try something new yeah I feel like the disc dyeing community and disc gen, uh, community in general is very positive. Um, you know, my outlook is, you know, someone start had to start somewhere. If they ask questions, don't mock them or say, ha ha, whatever, you know, help them out, help support them because you never know what words or what actions you do can affect or inspire somebody. Yes. Um, so yeah, I try to keep positive vibes all around because you never, you never know. One thing I would also say um, for the newbies and even the experienced ones, um, if there is something that you're not sure of, um, you can use the search button on the Disc Golf Dyers Facebook page, uh, or the group, I should say, and I bet you you'll find about 40 threads and I've done it too. Like if I was trying to find the specific vinyl I was looking for and Orcal 651. Okay. That's what I needed to get. Boom. And I got like 15, 20 threads of it. Um, or if you can't find it there, don't be afraid to ask. And for those of you who have been in the game a lot longer than I have, um, you know, I have a mantra that I've lived by in dog sports um, and it is uh, lift as you climb. Now, what that means is, is that while you're climbing the ladder of success, lift those around you up with you so that they can be just as good, if not better than you. And when we lift up everyone together, um, the possibilities are endless. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I love that. That's awesome. Um, I, I definitely try to live by that as well. So. So I know I learned a lot about um, dog disc sports and dying dog discs. And I, I kind of really want to try with my dogs now. Um, <laughs> do it. You just got to do it. Yes. The, you know, just the difference is doing it. Just do it. Um, so thank you for sharing all that information. But now we're going to get to know Tim on a little bit more of a personal level. So yeah. let's do it. The first section I have is favorite fave. What is your favorite song and or band? Favorite band, uh, I've seen them live about 28 times, uh, is Coheed and Cambria. All right. Nice. Uh, prog rock band. Uh, I actually grew up into a town nearby them. And when I was in high school, I used to go to all their local shows before they made it big, as <laughs> they say. Um, and as they've uh, released more albums and toured every time, um, I've, uh, they come around even remotely close. I hit up a show. Um, but I tend to go towards rock and metal. Um, but like if I'm on the course, I'll listen to some EDM or, or reggae or I, I kind of vibe to everything. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, so you're a hipster because you knew them before they were cool. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. One among the fence. Yeah. What is your favorite food? Uh, um, I tend to gravitate towards Italian and Asian. Um, my go-to comfort meal is, uh, pho. 
Vietnamese pho. It's a Vietnamese noodle soup. Uh, I have a local shop nearby me that I just walk in and sit down. I don't say anything. They know what I want. And I'm there like <laughs> twice a week. Um, and they, uh, it's just, it just hits differently. Like yeah. it's so good. Like if I'm in a bad mood or it's just a dreary day, man, a, a nice big giant bowl of pho. Oh, it's so good. So where are, lo- where are you located and what is the name of the place? Uh, I'm located in North Carolina, uh, near the triangle area. Uh, and the name of the place is Pho 919. They're located in Morrisville, North Carolina. And if you see them, just some Tim sent you. And they'll love it. <laughs> nice. I'm trying to get them to have my own menu item. They're trying. <laughs> it's, just, it's the Tim special. And they'll know what you want. There you go. Uh, what is your favorite beverage? I am a big sucker for soda. Um, I'm trying to drink uh, zero sugar soda now uh, just because of health reasons. But I'm literally working on a Mountain Dew uh, zero sugar. Um, but I got my buddy uh, a Mountain Dew Code Red Zero Sugar, which is apparently almost impossible to find, but that is God tier. That was the most delicious <laughs> zero sugar soda I've ever had in my life. If any of you out there are able to find it and send it to me, I will I will pay you uh, because on Amazon, it was like 35 bucks for wow. a case of 12. Wow. Huh. Well, no, but yeah, uh, Mountain Dew Zero Sugar is is my god tier drink right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, didn't like when did Code Red come out? I remember Code Red in my in high school. Like it was yeah. like around like <clears throat> mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. I remember like two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I remember at my hometown pizzeria mm-hmm. that with like a barbecue chicken slice of pizza and a Code Red. Oh, that was good times. That was uh, that was living good. Yeah, man, that's bringing back memories. Anywho, uh, besides the dog sport, disc golf, and disc dying, what other hobbies do you have or did you have? Um, so I, like I said, zero to 100 on most things. Uh, I did get into a bunch of things. Um, I snowboarded for about five or six years. Uh, I am very heavily involved in uh, gaming, uh, mostly PC gaming. Um, first person shooters, uh, third person shooters, um, uh, sim racing. I, I do have, uh, a full cockpit set up for iRacing, uh, which is super fun. Um, and that's, pr- and I also, uh, like, uh, competition shooting for firearms. So like, uh, steel challenge. Uh, I find that to be super fun. Just getting out plink and steel. That's always fun. Nice. Uh, do you have a VR headset? I do. I do. I, I do have a Vive. Um, I am looking to get one of the new Oculus kits um, eventually. Uh, mm-hmm. I like it, the ability to be mobile and bring it anywhere. It would be fun at parties mm-hmm. and watch people who have never been in VR be in VR. Yeah. And then experiencing for the first time. That's always fun. It is. Um, man, I, I need to pull out my VR rig. I have the uh, Oculus CV1. And um, I also have a sim cockpit, and my game of choice is Dirt Rally. Yes! I love Dirt Rally. That is so much fun. So I like rally in general. Like, I actually rally cross my car, and my dream is to do stage rally, but that's just way too much money. 
Uh, so next best thing, VR and uh, racing sim. Um, a racing cockpit for sim racing is maybe about a 40th of the cost <laughs> of a actual rally car, let alone the tires. And when you hit a tree doing about 40 and then you have to tow out and then, oh, by the way, that's how you got there. So now you're stuck <laughs> uh, unless you rent a truck to transfer. But that's interesting uh, that you do rally racing. Like I said, uh, I'm a big fan of just racing in general. Rally, yeah. F1, NASCAR, MotoGP. Yeah, I like racing too. Um, I'm just not a fan of when they always go left. <laughs> <laughs> hey, NASCAR has been going to road courses too. Yeah. They're getting better. And with the new cars, um, say what you will, oval racing is an art. Um, it really is. Um, yes, it is just left turns, but uh, there's a lot more right turns when you're in the banks than you think. Yeah, and you have to be very precise because any small mistake can set you back a lot. Yep. Um, awesome. All right, next section that I have. If you had to pick three discs to play for the rest of your life at any course, what would those three be? Definitely top of the line is going to be the Mako 3. Um, the Mako 3 uh, is one of my favorite discs of all time. Um Specifically, Kona Pan, well, Kona Montgomery now, but at the time, the Kona Panis Tourist Series Mako 3 was a disc that I've hit banned and almost aced like three times. Um, I only have one ace to my name, um, and that was with a, um, a actually a Hero, a, J- a Japan Open uh, Hero Disc Aviar, uh, or Aviar, however you say it. Um, it, it was a maybe about 130 yards. No, 130 feet. I'm sorry. Sorry. In disc dogs, we do yards. In disc golf, we do feet. Uh, it was 130 feet. And I had, like, it was, it was a flex shot that went through a tree and just a herd chain. And I'm like, it was dark out. It was a glow round. So I had no idea that went in. And I remember running over to the basket, almost tripping and dying on a root. <laughs> and I, and I went there, I'm like, holy smokes, it's in the basket. And that's my only ace. There's someone um, hiding by the basket and they saw it go to the ground. I'm like, I'm going to put this in. Tink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the Aviar uh, definitely would be my second disc. Uh, it's my go-to putter. Um, I actually just switched over to the animal um, last season uh, just because uh, my club captain for Capital Area Disc League, uh, Jay Pontier, who's an Innova ambassador, uh, he let me throw it during uh, a putting league one night and like I was on fire. Just like it felt so good in my hand. You know, the people, anyone who's never thrown an animal, it's like a beaten rhino and has a thumb track. So for some reason, like it, I fell in love with it. Uh, but if I had to choose between the two, I'd go with the Aviar. I, d- I just, that's a more utility disc for me. And then I'd probably go with a Roadrunner. Um, having a lot of uh, skill throwing rollers for dogs, the Roadrunner for me is a great roller disc. Uh, and oftentimes, depending on the course, because North Carolina is known as kind of a wooded course specialty. But when I get to those courses where there's an open hole, I can bomb a roller and it's go a lot farther than I would if I was trying to throw it. So 
a roadrunner would be like that utility driver I can stick with. That's awesome. It's also uh, kind of interesting slash hilarious that it's a roadrunner and it's going to, you know, roll to the hole. Yeah. It, perfect for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, next section. Leap perfect hole. What has been your most favorite course and or hole that you've played so far? So the favorite course is one that I helped put blood, sweat, and tear uh, in building it um, uh, with a tree clearing. And I didn't get to volunteer as much as I wanted to. Um, but the the local course to us that just got awarded the Tim Selinski Masters in 2024, uh, it's uh, Diavolo in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, it was the number one rated public course in 2019. It was number seven in the world, but the top six were all private courses or semi-private. It was the number one public course in the world in like 2020, 2021. Um, so it was really cool. I actually have a memorial disc hanging on my wall from when uh, Diavolo, or Diavolo, I should say. It's the devil. Uh, and uh, that, the one of the courses, holes on that, hole eight is a water shot that has been my absolute bane of existence because <laughs> as a lefty, uh, I have to throw an Anheuser shot and... Oftentimes, I it will just get there and then just bomb out and into the drink it goes. So, actually, my first ever die disc is still in there. <laughs> or, or someone decided they're gonna do maritime law and <laughs> claim now? it as their yeah yeah in a in a tiny ass pond in Cary, North Carolina. They're gonna claim maritime law and say it's theirs, but whatever. Nice. If you if you want my first shitty die ever, go ahead. It's yours. And it was a dog disc, too. <laughs> nice. So, so have at it. Uh, so the last section that I have is if you had to pick a pro disc golfer to play around with and hang out, who would it be and why? Um, I'll do this. FPO will be, would be Kona Montgomery. Um, so kind of a fun fact. Um as a hero disc dealer, um, Kona's mom, uh, Denise Panis, is actually my rep for Hero Disc. So um, Denise and I would always talk about Kona when she was up and coming. Um, and then when she moved over to Dynamic, like it was because Hero and Innova, them being together, um, her going over to Dynamic, I knew it was a tough decision for them. Um, but being able to support uh, Kona uh, and still talk to Denise all the time uh, and all the fine folks at Hero um, who've always supported Tar Heel and sharing all the stuff that we've done. Um, so, yeah, definitely Kona for the FPO. Uh, for MPO, I'd want to say Double G. Um, but if it would be anyone from, from Disc Golf, I may go with with the champ, Ken Climo. I would love to see what he would do nowadays. Um, I think I think everyone shares in that uh, enthusiasm. Would love to see Kenny back involved in the sport um, because when I was involved, you know, it was just all I saw was Ken Clim Ken Climo this, Ken Climo that. You know, all the discs he had, but I never actually got to see him play. 
Well, those are some great choices and uh, cool that you have some ties with uh, that. Um, so I, I lied. I have one more question. Sure. How did you come up with your business name? So me being in North Carolina, uh, the Tar Heel State, um, my disc dog club, Tar Heel Toss and Fetch, um, it kind of just tied all together. Um, with uh, Tar Heel Custom Disc, Tar Heel Toss and Fetch. Uh, and my wife actually works at UNC Hospital, um, which is uh, around the campus, the home of the Tar Heels. So um, it just kind of came naturally, and it's stuck ever since. Well, uh, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about? Yeah, let's actually talk about the history of disc dogs a little bit. Um, the story of how disc dogs came to be is actually a very interesting one. Um, believe it or not, uh, disc dogs originally got started um, by a, a 19-year-old kid at the time, back in 1974, by a gentleman by the name of Alex Stein and his whippet named Ashley. So... Uh, Alex actually smuggled Ashley into a Los Angeles Dodgers baseball game. And in the middle of the game, they hopped over the fence in the outfield and just started throwing long bombs. And Ashley would jump up and catch it and wow the crowd. And uh, believe it or not, uh, uh, Irv Lander, uh, who was part of the International Disc Association, actually was in attendance of the game and when alex actually got arrested he actually uh took ashley and bailed alex stein out of jail and reunited with his dog or so the legend goes um but yeah so after that like organized sports kind of came um with uh you know the Ashley Whippet Invitational, Skyhounds, which was one of the original organizations. Um, there's actually a great documentary called uh, Fly High, Story of the Disc Dog. A good friend of mine is a documentarian and did a whole video about it, um, about the history of disc dogs. So if you want to learn more, uh, definitely check that out, uh, Fly High. Uh, it goes really deep into like how disc dogs got started and it's just really interesting to see how a little plastic disc can change so many lives that's awesome um tim i've learned so much and i think you've been the most unique guest on here and that is awesome um i've been loving your enthusiasm um and i, I can't wait to see what other work you come out with and um keep up the great work and experimenting and spreading the knowledge and all that good happy stuff that's what it's all about. And uh, I had to give a big thanks to uh, Jen and Kevin, my other dyers of part of uh, Tar Heel Custom Disc for all their hard work. Um, I wish they could have joined us on the call today, but uh, they're, they're just as important as I am. And uh, us three make a great team. So I'm proud of them. So where can people find you and your uh, colleagues work? So uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And we're actually uh, in the talks of opening up uh, a Shopify website uh, to have a storefront um, with uh, having some free time open up available and being able to do a little bit more volume. We're actually going to be opening up a storefront. Like right now, our preferred method uh, of doing our dyes is through flash sales, 
where we just put up all of our discs at once and the first person who claims it, it's theirs. Um, and then we take their payment and ship them their discs. But um, with the amount of volume of discs that we're able to do now between the three of us, we think that it would be able to support the expense of actually having a dedicated website. Um, maybe I'll talk to uh, Daddy Mac and see if we'll put some discs up on discdying.com as well. Um, we have to kind of explore some options, but you know, it'd be kind of cool to have a, a virtual storefront for our discs and rather having to like post our discs on like five different Facebook pages to try and get them out there. Um, but yeah, Instagram, uh, at Tar Heel Custom Discs, uh, and you'll find me, uh, mostly around North Carolina disc golf, uh, gift disc golf courses and you'll find me uh at a lot of updog competitions around the country that's awesome um so if you do want or want to consider this you can put some of your listings on the guild website as well yeah so i would love to do that feel free to do uh disdying.com and if you're interested in the guild website i feel like uh diversity is always a good thing Yes, especially if we're going to put up the volume we're anticipating. Uh, spreading the love everywhere uh, is never a bad thing, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so Tim, Tim will also be raffling off not one, but two discs. He'll be raffling off a dyed disc for disc golf that humans can use, as well as a dog safe disc. Now, he is also going to be donating this to a uh, charity. And Tim, if you want to explain a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh, I'm going to be donating the proceeds to the uh, raffle to a good friend of mine's dog rescue, uh, Bono's Rescue. Um, that's actually where I got a, one of my dogs from. She's a good friend and she does a lot of amazing work uh, in the dog sports world. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to help support her. So 100% of the proceeds will be going to the charity. So uh, for as little as $1, you could win this raffle. But I know you love those furry pets, so you can definitely submit more money if you want. Uh, this raffle will go live when the podcast gets released and it'll be open for two weeks. So you can head to dyersguild.co slash raffle to get entered today. You know, those furry little animals with the cute puppy eyes. <laughs> Please donate. <laughs> yes. All right, Tim. Well, I, again, greatly appreciate uh, you being on here. Um, I had a, a blast. I learned a lot and now I want to uh, do some of the uh, dog disc sports stuff. So Thanks again, and um, we'll talk to you guys later. Yeah, if I ever uh, am in the Wisconsin area, I'll uh, I'll give you a ring, and we'll uh, I'll I'll get you throwing some dog safe discs for your dog. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, guys, we will talk to you later. Until next time, bye. <laughs>